that you would be able to help us to give thanks, Lord, in everything. For this is your will in Christ Jesus concerning us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you'd turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John, or pardon me, to Revelation 1. I'm getting ahead of myself here in the scriptures here this morning and this afternoon. I had a very good rest last night. My wife and I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning yesterday to start out here. We're about 2,500 miles away from Whitehorse. And we got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and then we uh, had been in Anchorage, right, in Alaska last week uh, for CFC presentation, and I didn't get much sleep there. And before that, I was in British Columbia and with my wife again, and we were blessed to be the part of that great uh, Ministers and Wives retreat there where we also presented Christmas for Christ. And I'm going to be doing that this whole week in Oregon. And I appreciate your prayers as we challenge this great Oregon district to do better and beyond anything they ever dreamed would be possible. I really believe that God has got an incredibly miraculous CFC offering from in Oregon this year so that other people can hear the gospel. You know, the wonderful thing about Christmas of Christ, it's an offering that you receive, and you don't keep one dime of it. You give it all away. <laughs> give it all away so that other people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. In, uh, in the book of Revelation, <clears throat> this, this is a very interesting story. When, when you consider that this man, John, who's writing this book, there, there's not even any complete certainty that it was the John that we know of who wrote the, the epistle of John, but it is generally accepted by most theologians that is, this is the same John. So I'm going to be preaching to you from this perspective. One of the things that I became very aware of, and possibly was because of the wonderful opportunity that I had to be schooled at the foot of... Gamaliel, so to speak. That's how I felt when I became friends with Marvin Treese, even though we lived thousands of miles apart. God brought us together to be able to understand better the Word of God. I had never had any formal Bible school training. I'd never been to seminary. I'd, I'd never preached. I just went from being the song leader in the church. It's not a, an easy story to tell, but I went from being the song leader in the church to the pastor of the church. But God was good to me, and one thing Marvin Treese taught me was that this word of God, you know, the Bible says every word of God is pure, right? Could be translated every word of God is perfect. And so when we read the word of God, every time you read the word of God, you may need to read it with precision and see what it really says and understand that God's word means what it says and says what it means. One of the, I'm fond of saying that one of the most misunderstood passages of scripture in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that's what I said, and that's the way most of us read it, but that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says they should not perish. Every word of God is important. Every word of God. They should not perish, but they might. And so as we read this uh, passage here from Revelation, it's important for us to read it with the precision that God gave it when his anointing came upon this man. It begins there at the first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. 
Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then he says, would you read this with me if you have your Bible? If not, you can watch it on the the screen here. Read this together with me, will you? I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. I should be reading it in the King James. That's the one I'm most familiar with, so let's carry on from there. Was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was in the isle. He was not on the isle that is called Patmos. And I want to speak to you today on this thought, a place called Patmos. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this forever settled word, Lord, that is pure. And asking you to help us as we deliver this message here today to this wonderful church. God, we know who you are and we know what you can do. And I'm thankful for the anointing that I'm feeling right now. And ask that you put an anointing upon this congregation to receive this. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. In Patmos is a small um, Greek island. It's situated off the west coast of Turkey. And it's in the Aegean Sea. It's about 40 miles southwest of Ephesus. One source says, says that it, was received, it had received its name from the terebinth, turpentine trees that grow on it. It's, about, it's a little more than 13 square miles. It's roughly four miles by three and a half miles. It's one-twelfth the size of the city of Whitehorse that we live in, which is 27,000 people. But Patmos only has 3,000 people, less than 3,000 people in it to this day. And today, still, the only way to get to Patmos is by sea. You have a ferry ride that about seven hours, or an emergency, people are evacuated off it or taken to it in medical emergencies by helicopter. The American business magazine Forbes said in 2009 in a research article, they called Patmos, referred to Patmos as Europe's most idyllic place to live, most wonderful, the most comfortable. The word they used was idyllic, place to live. It's seldom mentioned by the ancient writers and the earliest remains of human settlements date to the Middle Bronze Age, around 2000 BC. And John, the younger brother of James, son of Zebedee, he's the cousin of Jesus, their mother, Salome, was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. James and John were the first disciples to be called by Jesus Christ. And John 
received the great revelation of the mighty God in Christ before he wrote this book of Revelation. John knew who Jesus was. He knew who Jesus was. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which essentially are the life and times of Jesus Christ, you, you find a wonderful history and a great storytelling of, of Jesus' ministry on earth. But John is a book of theology. When you begin to study, I'll never forget when this dawned on me that one day that, that this book of John, the Gospel of John, not this book of Revelation, but the Gospel of John is a book of theology. You know, I think it's kind of interesting that the other, the other Gospel writers never recorded the first miracle that Jesus did. Now, if you, if you, were, if you were writing essentially, this, as I said, the life and times of Jesus Christ, I think... I think I'd like to think if I was doing that, I would certainly record the first miracle that Jesus did, but they didn't. The only one who recorded that was John. And I would also think that if I was recording the life of Jesus Christ, that I most certainly would have recorded the greatest miracle that he ever did, at least in the minds of most theologians. The greatest miracle that Jesus ever did was the raising of Lazarus from the dead, but but they didn't record it. Now, I just kind of have a hard time wrapping my head around that. That Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not record the greatest miracle that Jesus ever did. But John did. And so the more I, the more I studied this and the more I looked at this over the years, that I came to the understanding that John knew who Jesus was. He absolutely knew who Jesus was. And evidence, of course, is found throughout his gospel. And Peter, James, and John were the only three witnesses that were there at the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, pardon me, they were, yes, they were there. And they were also the only ones that were there at the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. John was the only apostle who remained who was still there. We, we, <clears throat> I forget who mentioned it here. Somebody, it may have been Pastor Brock, but... Earlier today, someone we were talking about how people have really forsake Jesus, except John. And John was there. John was there at the foot of the cross. Everybody else left, but John was there. John knew, and it's important. The reason I'm trying to establish this truth here is that it's important for you and I to understand. You know, the Bible says it is impossible for God to lie. Did you know that? It's wrong to say God can do anything. That's not true. To look at the precision of God's word... The scripture tells us in Hebrews 6 and 18, it is impossible for God to lie. Now I can remember, I used to think about, well of course not, because he's so holy. He would not, he would not even give any consideration to any thought of deceit. But that's not what it says. It says it is impossible for God to lie. And those of you who have trouble grasping that, the scripture says that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every truth be established. Titus 1 and 2 says God which cannot lie. So there's two witnesses in God's word that it is impossible. In other words, and this is purely conjecture, but even if he wanted to, God could not lie. Now we know he would never want to. But this, 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 is, how, this is how deliberate and how pure this word of God is for you and I when we read it. And so every time you read the word of God, every time you study the word of God, every time you, you, you teach the word of God, always remember that this is absolute, unadulterated truth. 
And you don't have to defend it. Just proclaim it. The Bible doesn't ask you anywhere to defend God's word. Just proclaim it. God will take care of it. In fact, if we, every time we, we send this word forth, the scripture says it shall not, it will not return unto him void, but will accomplish that whereunto it is sent. The tradition of the Christian church is that John lived in a cave on the Isle of Patmos. We don't know that for sure. In fact, it's probably true that John was able to go wherever he wanted to on Patmos. There's nothing indicating that he was bound, that he was in chains, or he was in any way fettered whatsoever. But the tradition is that he recorded the revelation of the apocalypse there. and It, it, it talks about the revelation of John but really, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. This, is, this gospel writer who wrote the book of theology in the gospel of John, it's not a record of his life. It, is, it includes facets from his life. But the book of John is a book of theology. And the revelation of Jesus Christ is the completion, really, of everything that we find in understanding, that it was John who first reveals unto us the mighty God in Christ. It's John who helps us understand how perfectly God manifested himself as a man. Flesh and blood and bones and sinew and muscle and, and, and emotions and everything that made up man. And John knew who Jesus was. Now, according to Pliny and Tacitus, the Roman uh, historians, the Romans often sent their prisoners to islands. And Patmos was not listed as a primary place of confinement. In fact, the word Patmos only occurs one time in the Bible. And it only occurs, there's only six references to Patmos in all of the classical writings. It's an old, old, old word. So old that we're not even sure what it means. And um, that there's no reference to Patmos as being one of the places where prisoners were sent. Um, but apparently while the head of the church in Ephesus, John, was sent and banished, I think it would be careful to say, we could say that carefully, to live there by the emperor Domitian sometime around 97 or 95 A.D. He was later freed by Nerva as an old man, and he trained Polycarp, who later became the bishop of Smyrna, and Polycarp in turn taught uh, others, including Irenaeus, and passed on to him the stories about John. And so we have this record, the scriptural record, and we also have historical references to John being on Patmos. The great American, uh, right, or pardon me, the great English writer, John Donne, wrote these words which became very chick and very popular around the 70s. No man is an island. He wrote that in Meditation 17. And the premise is that man is a social being and he cannot really exist in a fulfilled state without his fellow man. No one is self-sufficient. No one is, has enough of themselves that they can rely on on anything other than themselves to be a successful human being. That was the premise that was established by that. And John wrote, we just read it here a little while, that he was in the island called Patmos. He was not on the island, he was in the island. And John does not assume 
that his readers even know where Patmos is. It was such an insignificant place. He does not simply say, I was in Patmos. He doesn't say, I was on Patmos. Now Luke writes, when he, saw, he talks about going to Rhodes or to Cyprus. But, but John, when he writes, he says, I was in the isle that is called Patmos. He had been banished to a small island. And banishment to small islands was common in his day. He uses the definite article, the. I was in this island, and I can't get out. It's a seven-hour ferry ride today. I wonder how long it took to get to Patmos from Turkey 2,000 years ago. Perhaps all day, or maybe even longer. I'm in this island, and I can't get out. No one comes to join me here. And if they do, they don't stay. They're not on this island. They don't know what it feels like to be in this island. And they certainly don't live in this island. No one else has this disease. No one else has this situation in their life. No one else has this past. No one else has these feelings that I'm feeling. Everyone is blessed except me. I'm in this island. I'm completely enveloped by this island. I'm completely swallowed up by this island of situation and circumstance that I'm enjoying right now in my life. Everyone else is blessed. Everyone else has friends. Everybody else has the Holy Ghost except me. I'm in this island called Patmos. And actually, Patmos is a beautiful place. Is it possible that I could be in the church and yet be in this island called Patmos? Because Patmos according to Forbes magazine, is the most idyllic place on earth. And yet, I'm in this island called Patmos. I'm alone in this island. Does anybody even know that I'm here? Does anybody even aware? Does anybody care? So much has happened in my life. Everything is inside out, upside down, and backwards, and nobody even knows I'm too embarrassed to share it. I'm, I'm too frightened to tell it. I'm, I'm too intimidated to even express what's going on in my life. Does anybody know what I'm going through in this island called Patmos? Does God know that I'm here on this island called Patmos? And the biggest lie, of course, that the devil fosters upon us when we're in this island called Patmos is, does he care? Does God care? And so we read, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. For the word of God, now here's why he's there. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. My, 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 my. He's in this beautiful island, and he's free to walk around. He can go anywhere he wants. But the highest place, we were singing today about, I'm going up to the highest places. The highest place on the island of Patmos is, is less than 800 feet above sea level, and it's only 13 square miles. I'm in this island. I'm completely consumed and eaten up by the situation and the circumstances of my life. 
Does anybody know? Does anybody care? Does God know? And does he care? I'm here because of the word. I'm here because of the word. But God can still speak to me. I'm in this island because of the word. And God can still anoint me. I'm here because of the word. And it's possible that I can be in this island and still be in the spirit on the Lord's day. You may be in this island. I'm here to encourage somebody. I know we're not running and shouting and juking and jiving, but I'm here to... Somebody, I want you to know that God understands exactly where you are. He not only knows your phone number and your address, but he knows exactly where you are on this island. He knows where you are in this island. There's none of it that's been hidden from him. No matter where you are, God can reach you. No matter how deeply involved and how deeply enveloped and how far consumed you are in this island, God can reach down. Regardless of the island that you are in, God can reach out and touch you today. John was not the only one who found great revelation in loneliness. Many great revelations and special visitations from God came in that very environment. It was while he was fleeing alone that Jacob saw God at Bethel. It was alone in the backside of the desert that Moses encountered God in the burning bush. See, God understands loneliness. God understands islands, experiences. And you may be feeling like you're in an island here today. It was while fleeing as a frightened fugitive, Elijah heard the still small voice. It wasn't in, it wasn't in the rocks being rent. It wasn't in the thunder and the lightning. And it wasn't in the wind. But there, in that situation, there was this still small voice. I heard a nudge from God this morning. There wasn't angels singing. There wasn't trumpets blaring. But God spoke to me clearly this morning that somebody is in an island and you need to take this word of God. I've only ever preached it one time before, but I'm telling you in the anointing of the Holy Ghost here today, somebody needs to realize that you can get it the highest place on your island maybe only 800 feet but you can come up into the high places you can come up and reach out and touch the blessed holy spirit you can be a frightened fugitive it was alone that ezekiel saw the likeness and the glory of god by the river chibar and daniel my goodness he was basically alone in exile when he saw the ancient of days Listen to this, this passage of commentary by the great Bible theologian Matthew Henry. I quote, Those who would enjoy communion with God on the Lord's day must seek to draw their thoughts and affection from earthly things. And if believers are kept on the Lord's holy day from public ordinances and the communion of saints by necessity and not by choice, They may look for comfort in meditation and secret duties from the influences of the Spirit. This man did not even have the Holy Ghost. At least we're not aware that he did. And by hearing the voice and the contemplation of the glory of their beloved Savior, from whose precious and gracious words and power no confinement or outward circumstance can separate them from. Is it possible that... that that no matter how long I've been in the island, that I've lost track and I've sort of lost count and I've sort of forgotten of all the blessed things that God has done for me. He is an awesome God. 
He can move mountains. He, we sang it. He's our savior. He's our protector. He's my provider. He's so awesome. And yet it's easy to get overwhelmed by the situation and the circumstance of the island that I'm on. He said, I was in this island that is called Patmos. I wish we really understood what the word Patmos means. There's no real absolute truth, but I'm here to tell you this morning or this afternoon, pardon me, that no matter how long you've been in the island, the Spirit is here and you can still be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Well, yes, you can. You can still be in the Spirit. It's an old, old word. And there's no reliable, ancient, direct meaning of what that word means. Our best understanding could be that it may just simply mean a small place. It just may be what it means. The scripture says in Luke 21 and 19, In your patience possess ye your soul. This is Jesus talking. And in Romans 5 and 3, the great apostle Paul told us that tribulation worketh patience. I can remember my pastor saying to me, don't pray for patience. (laughs) Don't pray for patience. Because tribulation worketh patience. And in Acts 14 and 22, I read, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, the scripture says. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. You know, you know I think it, it would be good if we could, every once in a while, just step back from our Christian experience and sort of look back to when we first came into this thing. And where we were and what we were doing and what our situation was and what our circumstance might have been back then. And nobody said to us, well, give yourself to Jesus and receive suffering and affliction and then patient endurance. Nobody ever told us that. Did they tell you that? Give your life to the Lord and you're going to have all kinds of suffering and, and afflictions and, and persecution. And, but there are many Christians today who could honestly say what John is saying in Revelation 1 and 9. I'm in this island that is called Patmos. Most of Paul's epistles were written from a dingy prison cell. Not from plush, well-equipped office or from a fancy hotel room. Uh, My wife and I enjoyed a very, very fine uh, evening last night. Very comfortable room. Got up this morning and there was a breakfast waiting for us. The wonderful, probably perhaps the most beautiful book in the New Testament, the book of Philippians, was written from the depths of the Marmentine prison. The floor was carpeted in sewage and human waste. That's where we got the book of Philippians delivered to us. I'm in this place. I'm on this island. I'm in this island called Barmentine. And yet the Apostle Paul wrote, wrote that wonderful book to the Philippian church. Stephen's glorious vision I'm in this island called Stoning. And yet it was while he was being stoned that a vision of Jesus Christ came to Stephen. Elijah was sent to a starving widow. 
Now, it would have been nice if he'd been sent to a king's palace. But that's not where God sent him. He sent him to a starving widow. And in other words, he sent him to a woman who was in a place called starvation. And yet God sent his man. When I think about all of the things, it looked like the devil was having his way, shutting off John from his ministry and his friends. It looked like evil had won the day. But in reality, God had never forgotten. God had never lost control of the situation. In fact, God was working all things together according to his perfect will for John. You see, it was there in the island, not on the island, but it was there in the island called Patmos, that God had a man totally to himself. He had a man totally dependent upon him. He had a man who was totally free from all worldly distraction and attraction. John was even isolated from good things like pastoral ministry, Pastor Brock. He was shut up with God in a secret place that John himself would most likely never have chosen. But he was exactly where God had put him. You say, God God put him there? The steps of a righteous man, the Bible says, are ordered by the Lord. All things work together for good. According to them who love God, who are thee called, according to his purpose. It's not my purpose. It's not Pastor Brock's purpose. It's not David Martin. It's not even the purpose of the United Pentecostal Church. But according to God's purpose, all things work together for good. And you may be saying, well, I, I don't understand. But why would God? God had already had John ready to receive what he wanted him to receive. Well, John, Domitian may have put you on this island. Domitian may have put you in Patmos. But Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of your faith. Would you stand with me, please? You know, in Matthew 4 and 3 and in Luke 4 and 3, you have there the record of, of Satan coming to Jesus Christ. And he says, if thou be the Son of God. He, he asks him the same question that he asks you, brother. Sister Donna, has he ever come to you and said, if you're really a Christian, how come? If you're really where you're supposed to be, how come your church isn't? He knew exactly who Jesus was. In fact, he had spent thousands of years trying to prevent him coming. But now he says, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He knew exactly who he was, bro, but he comes and he assaults him with this with this accusation, if you're really the Son of God, make these stones, turn them into bread. And he asks me that often. And he asks you that too, doesn't he? Every once in a while he comes and he whispers in your ear and says, if you're really a child of the King, how come this is happening? If you're really where you're supposed, if this is really the church you're supposed to become, why is... thou be the son of God? How come you're sick? If thou be the son. How come you don't have a job? If you're, if thou be the son. If, 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 if. 
This is an old, old story. I'm in this island called Patmos. In fact, it's more explicit than that. It's, I was in this island that is called Patmos. If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. You know what Jesus did? He quoted scripture to him. How do I get out of Patmos? How can I get... If I'm really going to get out of Patmos, how can I get out of Patmos? I'm in this island that is called Patmos. How can I get out of this? Well, here's what Jesus did. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. And he quotes, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. But he didn't give up. You know, one good thing you can say about the devil, he's not lazy. He comes back and he says to him, now he quotes scripture to Jesus. He says, if thou be the son of God, cast yourself down. He, now he's going to use scripture to try to, and the devil comes to you and says, well, if you're really a child of God, here's what the Bible says, and how come that's not happening in your life? Quote scripture to Jesus, cast yourself down, for it is written. Now he's quoting scripture. For it is written, his angels shall bear thee up, lest at any time they dash thy foot against the stone. He quotes scripture to Jesus. Don't be surprised when the devil tries to twist and turn and tangle and turn stuff inside out, that the pastor comes and preaches next Sunday, or even perhaps right now, he's lying to somebody and saying, you know, this, you don't, you don't, you don't listen to this, don't, you, know that. you know what? The, you know what the very first transgression was? He said, "Hath God said?" It's still the question that he's posing today to many people. You know, the scripture says we wrestle not against principalities and powers. You're familiar with that scripture. And then, then it ends up, it ends up with these words. And spiritual wickedness in what? High places. Tell me any place on earth that is higher than the church. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Not that you're wicked. But the devil comes and he tries to insinuate himself into your life and even to twist the things that pastor says and even to, even to try to make you feel a little bit guilty because of what pastor preached spiritual wickedness in high places and Jesus used the word of God again every time and then he said well I'm going to take you up into come on follow me and he takes him up the scripture says he takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says you see this these all belong to me. Scripture says he brought by all the kings of the world. I, I don't personally believe that he showed him a geographical, all the geographical. I think what he did, bro, was he brought by the kingdom of alcoholism, and he brought by the kingdom of, of adultery, and he brought by the kingdom of addiction, and he brought by the kingdoms of lying and stealing, and he brought by the kingdoms of effeminacy. He brought by all the kings of the world. He said, these all belong to me, Jesus. Just bow down and worship me. And I'll give them to you. Jesus used the word of God. Anytime he comes to you with that. You need to remember what Jesus said about him. 
He's a liar. He's the father of lies. And the truth is not in him. So when he tells you that your kids are never going to be in church, just remember, the truth is not in him. He, even if he wanted to, it's the, he's the antithesis of God. Even if he wanted to, he can't tell truth. I'm in this island that is called Patmos. How am I ever going to get out of here? Well, here's what Jesus did. He simply said, it is written. And this forever settled word, God cannot lie. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. But I know that God has got his finger exactly. If he had a GPS, there would be a little light flashing right here saying, here's where she is. Here's where he is. Here's where they are. God doesn't need a GPS. He knew from the, before the foundation of the earth that you were going to be in that island that is called Patmos on this day. And all he's saying to you, all he's saying to me, and all he's saying to us is this. Why don't you just come up? Somebody needs to step up today. Somebody needs to walk up to the high places. We heard your pastor exhorting you. He knew, he, didn't, he knew what the title was, but he didn't, never knew what I was going to be preaching here today. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. You may be standing in Patmos right this very moment and then it goes on and says and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God I don't know who chose for Psalms 5 and 16 but I'll tell you God was in it for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Come on. <laughs> you don't. Come on. Not really. Well, another place he tells us, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that has come upon you. As though some strange thing had happened unto you. And patience, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience, and experience, hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. I'm in this island. It is called Patmos. Does anybody know? Does anybody care? Nobody ever comes here. Nobody ever visits me. And if they do come, they don't stay. I'm completely consumed by my situation and my circumstance. I'm in this island that is called Patmos. I'm alone. No, you're not. Don't listen to that. 
Don't listen to that. God knows. God knows. He knows where you are and He knows how long you've been there and He knows exactly how you're going to get out of Patmos. You know, one of the most wonderful things about storms, Sister Donna, the best thing about storms is that they never last forever. Sister Bonnie, I'm sorry, I said Donna. Storms never last forever. Eventually, the peace comes. The stillness comes. Eventually, I get out of Patmos if I just remember that God knows exactly where I am. Amen. Let's just respond to what the Lord's doing right now. You can pray where you are. You can come forward and pray. Let's just respond. The Lord is trying to